Test, test. All right. Hey. Thank you, Tori and Wesley, as your last Sunday as a uh, singles. So, the, <clears throat> so they're getting married next weekend, so super excited about that. <clears throat> oh, man, oh, man. So, uh, yeah, it's good to be back here. I know you guys were in good hands with uh, Cheryl and the team and uh, with Derek and the team last week. So it's good to be back in the United States. Mary and I were in Israel for two weeks in Jordan, and, you know, there's no place like home. So Israel was awesome, great place to go. There is no place like home. So good to be back. So normally I, uh, you know, I bring notes to preach, and um, I usually have about 10 to 12 pages of notes, which may sound like a lot. Today I have 25 pages of notes. <clears throat> and so uh, I, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help lead me to the parts that you guys need to hear. And uh, see, the problem is when you have more time to prepare, the, me- the messages just swell and grow. And so <clears throat> we're going to do our best here. Oh, Lord, I don't even know what to do here. My goodness. <laughs> Well, that's a good start. <laughs> so uh, it still has to go somewhere from there, though. All right, so. All right, Jesus. You know, we don't go after healing just to go after healing, you know, and so we are commanded to do it. That's not why we do it also is, uh, you know, there's a world that really needs us to work. And it's, it's hard to uh, read scriptures and not see healing all over the place in the New Testament. It's hard to see people in need and not just have your heart move for it. And so I've, I've said this before. We don't want to be like the vacuum cleaner salesman who comes and tells you how amazing the vacuum cleaner is and pours a bunch of dirt in your carpet and then asks you to buy, but never demonstrates the actual sucking power of the, uh, of the vacuum cleaner, right? I feel like this is what Christianity does. God's amazing. He's great. He's powerful. He can answer prayers. And then we actually never demonstrate it. We just tell people about it and ask them to sign up. I believe God's asking us to become the kind of church that can do what Jesus did. He says, listen, if I don't do miracles, you don't have to believe a word I say. That's John 10, 37. And so, guys, that's where we're going. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a comfortable journey. I mean, it'd be so much easier to just show up, do 15 minutes of worship, do a message. You're out in an hour, hour 10. You beat the Baptist to breakfast, and every, everything's good and nice and neat, and you just, you know, preach sermons about practical issues. But um, all those practical issues, they've got to come back to Jesus. You know, the, the heart of the gospel is that there's power because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's not just our, okay, now we're going to try harder and here's some principles that we're going to try to live by. No, no, no. There's a, there's a new life on the inside of us, a new life force that we're learning how to live out of. And part of that is, is the cross for, uh, for healing. See, Jesus was your Savior before you ever sinned. He was your Savior 2,000 years ago. He's already your Savior. Now, by faith, you receive that. I got some good news for you. He also is your healer. When he died for the forgiveness of your sins, he died for the healing of your bodies. He's already your healer. The same way that you received him as Savior is the same way that you receive him as healer. You believe that he is your healer, and you receive it. How are we doing? So how do, we, how do we learn to do healing ministry? We're going to learn to do it the same way the disciples did. They watched Jesus. See, Jesus was their doctrine. They didn't have healing seminars. They didn't have healing classes. They didn't have 26-part series on healing. I don't know if we're going to do 26 parts, but we're, we're getting close to there, I think, already. <clears throat> But they, they looked at Jesus, and Jesus said things like this. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father say. And so when they saw Jesus, they were actually seeing what the Father was like. When he's doing miracles, he said, I'm doing the works of the Father. I'm showing you what Dad's like. And so as we're going through these stories, I don't want to see just, I feel like these stories are really sacred and precious. They're like some of the most, we're going through the, uh, the healing miracles of Jesus. There's 26 individual miracle stories. And there's some of the greatest stories in the Bible. Some of them are popular. Some of them are not as well known. 
but I, I feel like it's a real privilege to go through these. And I don't want us to just go through the stories, learn some principles. I want us to paint something in our imaginations to where we're seeing that story come alive, and we're seeing ourselves in that story. And you're like, where, Jim, where are we supposed to picture ourselves in the story? What Jesus is doing, we're picturing ourselves doing those very same things. Because when Jesus is doing these things, he's not doing them as God. We're not like, oh, man, God, that's incredible what God can do. It is incredible what God can do through a man. And Jesus came, and he set aside his divinity, and he operated as a man. So as we're seeing these things, I want you, when you're reading these stories, I, I give you a sheet so you can read them. I want you to, like, meditate on them at home. I'm trying to do my best to paint pictures for you. But I want you to use your imagination. We did a message a couple of weeks ago. And we looked at how the same word for imagination in the Old Testament is the same word for womb. And your imagination is the womb, and the word of God is the seed. And we need that time to germinate, to meditate on it, so it becomes life and peace and fruit in our lives. How are we doing? Sound familiar? <clears throat> All right. We're already on page two. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. Turn with me to John chapter 5, verse 1. We're looking at the man at the pool of Bethesda. I wish I had a picture of Mary and I at the pool of Bethesda. We went there in Israel. We fought through the traffic. We had four different buses with 200 people on it. It was just something just to get anywhere in Israel. We fight our way there. We get there, and the pool of Bethesda is closed. I'm like, how, how can you close the pool of Bethesda, you know? And so I was going to have a picture of me, like, you know, like coming up on there. But well, anyway, I'll, I'll paint it in your mind. You can just imagine Mary and I standing there. All right, John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So probably would have been Passover, would have been Pentecost, or uh, Purim. Is that how you say it? Purim? Purim? Now, they're in Jerusalem near the sheep, gate, uh, the sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So picture five big porches, okay? Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. For the, the first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Can you just imagine this scene? Just this, all these sick people sitting around just waiting for the bubbling of the water. And so, uh, one, who was there, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Isn't that an interesting question for Jesus to ask? Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. Jesus asked him a yes or no question. What's he do? He goes straight to the victim card. Sir, the invalid replied, I've got no one to help me in the pool when the water stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders uh, said to the man who had been healed, this is awesome. Who healed you? We're so excited. No, that's not what they said. It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, it's this other guy here. Throws Jesus under the bus. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is a really strange miracle than the other ones we've looked at. The other stories, uh, they actually had faith and came to Jesus or a relative came and came to Jesus. This guy's not doing anything. He's not examining faith. He's getting healed, and he doesn't even know who Jesus is until later on. This story should encourage a lot of us here. <clears throat> so let's look at this miracle. Again, I'm not going to give you everything that I've got. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to give me the highlights. You guys good? 
This is going to be good. All right. So let's look at the setting of this. Verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Okay, so you can picture lots of religious people. Three times a year, all of the Israelites would come, the 12 tribes of Israel, so they would come uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts or these festivals. Uh, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool. Okay, so the ancient walls. Can we put up the picture of the Sheep Gate? Oh, look what I've got. <clears throat> oh, yeah, you know one of these days we're going to be doing laser healings. All right, so there is the Sheep Gate right there. And this big thing right here are, uh, is a representation of the pool of Bethesda. Okay, so you can see the five covered porches. One, two, three, four, and there's one big one in the middle makes up the fifth one. Isn't that laser? Is this laser pointer incredible already here? And so here's what the sheep gate was. Um, it's in the northeast corner of the temple there. And so they would have animals outside here, and they would bring them in here for the sacrifice. So that's the sheep gate, okay? So let me reverse to it again. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades, colonnades okay? And so let's look at the excavated pool of Bethesda. It's not quite as glamorous once they kind of excavate it in their own. There it is. And so you can see, uh, this thing is actually 20 feet deep, they found out. It's about the size of a football field by the time you do the whole thing. I mean, 100, it's about 100 yards and about 20 feet deep. And you can see here's one of that part of the uh, colonnade right there. And so uh, let's look at the artist's rendering of the pool. Guys, I took a lot of time to find these pictures. I feel obligated to show them to you. So you guys good here? All right, so there it is again. And so, uh, so there's the, the five covered porches, the one big one in the middle. And so this is about 20, uh, what have we gone about? About 20 feet deep. Oh, did it just die? There it is. Someone's prayers worked. I think it was online. And so, yeah. So, yeah, here's the porches in there. So the, the sick people would have been laying inside here. All right. It's dying again. Someone stopped praying. I think that's what happened. Somebody stopped praying. And so <clears throat> that's okay. That was my last picture anyway. So you can see the five covered walkways. I want you guys to get this picture. What would a Jew have thought when they heard the number five? Okay, remember, they were all about the Old Testament. They were all about the law. They would have thought about the five books of Moses. And it's interesting. Here's all the sick lying under the covering of the law, and they couldn't get healed. Here they are crawling and begging and doing everything they can to get healed. And what, is the, what does the law do? The law kills. The law destroys. And here they are under the covering of the law. They couldn't. But here comes the living Torah, Jesus himself, to heal them. What's the word Bethesda mean? It comes from two words, and uh, it means the house of loving kindness. Okay, can we put this whole picture together? The sheep gate is where the sacrificial animals were brought into the temple. Okay, this points to the Lamb of God, whose cross and sacrifice brought us healing. There's a pool of mercy and loving kindness right near the sheep gate. Verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. <clears throat> As you can see, these people, are, they're absolutely desperate. Guys, there was no hospitals. There was no social medicine. There was no, here they are hoping to win the healing lottery, hoping to be the first one when the waters are disturbed. And, and uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, some of them had sick friends that would come with them every single day, hoping to help them in. But this guy who's the invalid, he doesn't have anyone to help him in. These other people have got people just hoping to kind of, I mean, I don't even know what the scene would look like. I mean, if you're invalid and it's 20 feet deep, I mean, I mean it's, it's a desperate situation there. And so verse 4 kind of explains the story a little bit more. From time to time, we're on page five. How are you guys doing? Am I talking too fast? Are we getting it? I thought that was powerful. The covering of the law could not heal, but the living Torah comes through the sheep gate. Come on, somebody. 
Verse 4, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. This is like the most primitive hospital. It's like an emergency room, waiting room right there. And uh, I've got some good news. God's stirring the water within us. Verse 5, the one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And so Jesus comes into this emergency room scene with the most desperate people in Israel and uh, scores of sick people, and his attention gets directed to just one man. I don't know if this guy was like the most desperate, the, the, the most sick out of all of them. Maybe he's the worst of all. He'd been there for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. You know what's interesting? 38 years, according to Deuteronomy 2, is how long Israel wandered in the desert. So we see this parable of this man in this desperate situation, just wandering, just his life wasting away, and Jesus is going to bring him instant deliverance. And here's this man. He's, he's unable to move. I mean, he's, uh, he's a real person. There's no wheelchairs in the first century. His friends probably dropped him off in the morning, left him there all day. By the sheep gates, here's the people coming for sacrifices. Maybe they're feeling a little bit generous. And this guy would have been known. He'd been there for 38 years. This is how this guy's making his living, the charity of friends and family. His skin's probably weather-beaten and withered like a prune. He's been, you know, when the, when the shade's gone, when the sun moves, he couldn't move from, the, from that colonnade there. The first year, he's probably full of hope. Right, he heard about this pool, the angel disturbing the waters, and he's taken to the pool. There's excitement among him and his friends, and hey, maybe he'll be the first in the water, is what he's thinking. But day after day in the hot sun, here's year two. Here's year three. And now his friends are no longer staying there to help him in the water. They're just kind of dropping him off in the morning. He sees other people getting the pools. He sees other people with their family and friends there to help him. He's got nobody there to help him. You know, it would have been easy to resent those people at the pool after watching this year after year. I don't know about you guys, sometimes it's difficult to watch other people get healed but not get your healing. And under the shelter of religion, there is sick and lame and blind who can't be healed and do the work to step into the pool. They're so helpless and they're so near the sheep gate. They're right near to Jesus right there. But Jesus, I love it, he puts none of the requirements of the law on people. Here's the one who is greater than the angels who comes right into the situation. And this man who had been sick 38 years, the length that Israel had been in slavery, he's about to deliver this man out of his wilderness. So there's this desperate situation, this guy, 38 years of watching this happen. Jesus comes in the situation in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Remember, we looked at this word saw before when, we saw Peter's, when Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law, when Jesus saw the paralyzed man being lowered through the roof. Here's what the word means. It means to take in what is really there to discern or to perceive. Remember, we're looking over the shoulder how Jesus is the healing ministry, and here he is, and he sees this man. He's getting divine revelation. He's tuning into the Holy Spirit, and God is giving him revelation. He's learning that he's been sick for 38 years, not because someone else told him, because the Father's revealing it. I want you guys to realize this. He's, he's moving in the gifts of the Spirit in the same way that you and I can. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a church service where a pastor stands up there and says, hey, there's a um, blue Honda Accord license plate, ABC123, your lights are on. Nobody's like going, oh, my goodness, did you just hear that? He got the exact model of the car. He even knew the license plate and that the, like, no one's blown away. They, they saw someone hand him a piece of paper. He stands up and reads it. We got to, in one sense, demystify the supernatural. Guys, you can have God give you information and you can speak it out. Okay? I mean, it's, it's awesome when it happens. In one sense, I want to keep the mystery of God. On the other hand, I want us to be able to see that we too can do these things as we're entering a situation. We're tuning in with the Holy Spirit. We're beginning to see and perceive. And God gives us information. I've had a few times in my life where I've, um, I've been ministering. I've been able to lay my hands on somebody, know their exact condition without them even telling me. 
God, God just gives me information, and I pray. And listen, guys, when God gives you that kind of information, it's to increase your faith. They always get healed when that happens. Okay, so just as you're moving in that, just be, be looking for that. So Jesus sees the man heart. He sees his feelings. He sees his condition. He knows what he's coming from. God downloads this information to him. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Again, this is divine knowledge. Not because he was, he was God, because he's our model. He's moving in these things. He's moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I think this is a strange question. You're asking a guy at a healing pool if he wants to get well. Guys, Jesus never asked silly questions. Jesus only said what he heard his father say. So every word that Jesus saw, said was important. So I want you guys to get this. When Jesus saw the man, Jesus saw something in the man that demanded that this question would be asked. Okay? The fact that Jesus asked this man if he wished to get well suggests that this man had emotionally gotten used to this condition. Okay? It's a very simple question. Do you want to get well? Yes or no? Do you want to be healed? So this man doesn't answer yes or no. Right? Instead, he goes off in this long explanation defending himself. Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I've got no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes ahead of me. What's this man saying? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows. He's trying, to, he's, he's trying to get pity on him. Look at me. I've got nothing. There's no one here to help me. And, and uh, he, it seems like he's going into victim mode. Everyone else has got friends to help. I've got nobody. I'm in, this, I'm in this terrible condition. And you can almost hear the resentment. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Right? 38 years. This man's been watching this happen. Others are getting healed. Others are receiving more help from their family and friends. And it isn't long before you become bitter and angry at that kind of stuff. You're the victim. The reason Jesus asked, do you want to get well, is simple. Not everyone, even in a place of healing, wants to get well. It almost seems cruel to ask a sick person if they want to be well. But here's Jesus, perfectly representing the Father, perfectly representing love himself. And he loves the person so much that he asks a disturbing question. In order to, why did he do it? In order to remove blockages out of the way so that his healing grace can get on him. Do you want to get well? I mean, let's get practical here. This is how this guy made his living. This guy hadn't had a job in 38 years. He was a beggar, and that was the only way a a sick person could make a living, was begging and off the kindness of other people. Like I said, he's right there by the sheep gate, right where the temple, they're making sacrifices. Jews are feeling a little bit generous, and this guy might have been making a decent living off this. He's been there 38 years. Do you want to get well? What's Jesus saying? Do you want to leave that lifestyle behind of everyone taking care of you? Do you want to go find a job? I remember I was uh, ministering at, a, uh, at another church at the end of service. Someone came up and prayed for a relational issue afterwards. And so I prayed with them. And they had some obvious physical issues. Like I think they had some braces on their legs and maybe something on their arms. And I said, hey, can I pray for you uh, for your physical healing? Remember, they came up for a relational healing. And they said, no, um, I don't really want to give up my disability. Like, like the assistance from the government. Guys, there's people who don't want to get well. They would rather be an invalid, rather have someone else take care of them. You can get a lot of attention and pity from people. You know, that's kind of becomes your identity. This is my sickness. They're this sick person. And um, you, get, you get used to sickness. You can get a lot of attention. And a lot of, a lot of people feel like that looks like love to them. They're getting this kind of attention from being sick and this sympathy. You think you have it bad. I've been here 38 years. I've got seniority at the Pool of Bethesda. Nobody's been here as long as me. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you want to give up all the significance that comes with being sick? Do you want to give up the manipulation? 
I mean, people say things like, I'm so sick, one of these days you'll come to visit me and I won't be here. Or they do, they're using that manipulation there. I have to admit, I fight this on a small scale. Uh, when I get sick, I milk it to the bone. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking like nausea, but like a low-grade headache and maybe lack of energy, and I can milk that for a day or two. I mean, Mary takes care of me. Actually, I feel like I feel something coming on right now, maybe even. And it's like, you know, I, I, if Mary were to say, do you want to be well? Sometimes I'd be like, you know what? I'll just take a day here. This isn't too bad. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Some people believe it's God's will for them to be sick. There's some kind of modern-day martyr, you know. This is their cross to bear. This is their thorn in the flesh. We've dealt with those and other issues. God wants you well. God wants you well. I remember I was on staff at another church, and there was this couple. They absolutely drove me insane. They just looked. They always were, looked sick, and they were always telling you about the latest diagnosis. They had the doctors baffled. And, and, but God was getting glory through their sickness and how they were able to minister to people with their sickness and all this stuff. And he would tell me week after week. And this is when I was in my Pharisee days. And I even knew it was wrong back then. So he's complaining to me. And one day, he's, he's going on and on about their new list of symptoms and all these horrible things that are happening to their children and how God was getting so much glory from it. Finally, I just said, God is not getting glory from your sickness. He's going to get glory when you're healed. This is from the devil. And you'd have thought I said, your wife is ugly. Like, you thought, like, like he, he huffs up and he puffs up and he starts putting his finger in my chest yelling at me. And so I'm thinking, I think this guy's going to punch me in the face. So I'm kind of making a plan, you know, okay? Punch in the face, step one. Step two, gently sob. You know, like, so like, like what, what am I going to do? I'm really, I'm like formulating a plan. I don't think he's going to punch me in the face. And so, uh, well, you want to hear the rest of the story? He repented. He says, I've been leaving lies to the devil. He got healed. No, that's not what happened. <clears throat> so I wish what happened. He's pointing at it, and he's yelling at me. And so, uh, man, this thing came out of me. I said, what kind of horrible father are you? Okay, this is the Pharisee days. I was a little more feisty back then. So he's like, what are you talking about? I said, um, wouldn't you do anything to get your kids healed? I said, you're just, you're just proud of this sickness. He's like, I'd do anything for my kids to get uh, healed. I'd even die for them. And then it hit him. Jesus already died so that his kids could be healed. Yep, yep, yep. <clears throat> Some people almost talk affectionately about their sickness. This is my arthritis. These are my migraines. This is my diabetes. This is my cancer. Remember, Mary had a revelation a couple years ago. This sickness does not belong to you. Healing is the children's bread. Healing is your covenant. Healing is what belongs to you. Like, watch your vocabulary because it's reflecting something. We need to, do you want to be well? Do you want to stop the excuses? Do you want to stop the victim mentality? The comfort of what you've known for 38 years, the comfort of other people feeling sorry for you and taking care of you, do you want to be well? When Jesus interacted with people, he consistently commanded them to tell him what they wanted. Remember uh, blind Bartimaeus? He's, he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. They finally bring him to him, and Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? If you've ever been to a healing training, what's the question that we ask? What do you want to see happen when we pray? What are we doing? What do you want? Do you want to be well? Verse 8, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Under the law, you're not good enough. But under the grace, Jesus says, get up immediately before the man could do one good thing to earn it. No touch, no healing word, just a command to do what a sick man couldn't do. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
Hear this, guys. Every command of God carries the power to come carry it out. Anytime Jesus gives you a command, heal the sick, you don't have the power to heal the sick. But in that command, as we partner with it, we now have the power to heal the sick. When Jesus speaks, he says his words are spirit and they are life. When you speak the words of God or you obey the words of God, the Holy Spirit rides upon those words and gives you a divine enablement to empower you to do something you can't do in your own strength. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. I say it again, this guy is commanding, Jesus is commanding this guy to do what he could not do. Like he could not obey this command in his own strength. And at the command of Jesus, every cell and organ in his body leapt to attention and said, yes, Lord. Verse 9, the day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And, the, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I don't know about you, but I find this extremely encouraging. This guy did not even know who Jesus was, and he gets healed. You guys ready for this? Sometimes people are healed that do not seem to meet the normal conditions associated with healing. In fact, sometimes there's almost like this hopeful neutrality that a person may receive if uh, if the person praying for them believes. Let me put it this way. If you believe and you're praying for someone and they're in neutral, it's easy to push them into healing. If they're in park with their arms folded, it could be a long day. But this guy has this almost hopeful neutrality. He wasn't even expecting anything, this and that. God heals people sometimes who don't even look like they deserve to be healed. Actually, Jesus only heals people who don't deserve it. So stop trying to deserve it. By the time of uh, Judaism of Jesus' day, you know, there was the law of Moses but they said, you know, you, won't, you don't work on the Sabbath. They'd come up with 39 different categories of work. So they're, they're like, okay, we're not going to work. They're going to add all these rules of things that they constituted work. And there were subcategories within each one of these 39. So here's like a general category. They had a whole list of things underneath that. Would you like to hear some of these categories? These are interesting here. So um, things like uh, no sowing, no reaping, no kneading, no baking, no weaving two threads, no separating two threads, no sewing two stitches, no tearing in order to sew two stitches, that makes sense, no hunting a gazelle, no salting a gazelle, uh, no writing two letters, no erasing in order to write two letters. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can see where that one comes in, right? So far, so good. I mean, Jesus isn't breaking any of these 39 categories. And here's the last one, carrying something from one place to another. <sighs> Man, I mean, Jesus was doing great on the 38. Here, right on the 39th of these man-made stupid religious rules, carrying something from one place to another, carrying something such as a bed or a mat uh, that was prohibited. And um, I think it's interesting. They didn't give a rip that this guy was healed. I mean, you think they'd be like, hey, did you see that guy's been paralyzed for 38 years? He's now walking. Uh, who cares that he can now walk? Did you see what he was carrying? Uh, don't we have a rule about that in section 12, paragraph 3? Oh, it was your brother that was healed. Great. You should be reporting him to the authorities for breaking the rules. Like, Man, guys, this is religion. This is the heart of it. It doesn't even see what Jesus is. I think that they took that verse out of context that they were using to see that person get healed. Guys, Jesus never broke the law, but he broke man's opinions of the law. God will violate your opinions. 
God likes people that you don't like. Hello, Facebook. <laughs> Guys, let's not get sucked into the political climate of this thing. I mean, are all the political ads just about the same? So-and-so, he hates puppies. He hates children. He wants to take away your snacks. And so it's like, the, you know, they got that same tone, and they just tear them down. They got, like, a picture of them, like, like you know, like the worst picture in the world of them. And, like, you know what, guys? God loves that person that you don't want to vote for. He wants to heal people who don't deserve it. He wants to heal the children of people that you can't stand. And so the healed man took his sleeping mat. What was his sleeping mat? It was his resting mat. The Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest, but this man carried his Sabbath rest with him and went about his life. Sabbath is no longer a day. It's a realm that we carry on the inside that says, I don't have to work to be pleasing to God. I'm already pleasing to God because of what Jesus did. And this man carried it up and stepped into a new covenant reality and carried his rest with him. Page 18, baby. We are skipping so much. Yeah, it's good. It's back on. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Most of the time, Jesus did not associate sin with sickness with somebody. Uh, we see in John chapter 9, we're going to look at this, um, you know, hopefully we will, uh, the man who was born blind at healing uh, at the pool of Siloam. Jesus said, No, your sickness and your sin has nothing to do with each other. But here Jesus is associating it together. And so... Um, Sometimes the sin actually causes the sickness. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus says, listen, you're, you're, you're well. This is great. But um, you're, you're healing. Here's what, let, me, let me give you a warning. If you continue in sin, you're, something bad is going to happen. Something worse is going to happen. Jesus connects the healing with a warning. And uh, it's likely that uh, like whatever that something worse is, He's connecting your healing. It's, you're not going to be able to keep your healing if you continue sinning, okay? We're not told what that particular sin is or if, <clears throat> or if the sin caused the sickness to begin with. Um, it's easy to see how some sins can cause long-term illness, like sexual promiscuity can have an infection that lasts a lifetime. Sinful abuses of alcohol can you know, cause issues and all this stuff. There's other sins that don't always seem to have, like the, it's such an obvious connection here. Uh, notice that Jesus did not say you need to repent or be forgiven before I heal you. Jesus never made him jump through, through hoops to get healed, but he gave him a reality check and says, listen, uh, some sins for you to be able to, let's, let's use an example here. Um, Christ seems to be warning him about the potential to lose his healing and get sick again if you can continue to sin. So uh, there's actually some passages that seem to speak to this. Okay, we don't talk about these a lot, but these are in the Bible. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That sounds great. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. These are the words of Jesus. These are New Testament. Okay, Matthew 18, Jesus is telling a parable about what the kingdom is like. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Unforgiveness causes you to be tormented by the demonic. 
I get asked this a lot. What about forgiving others? Is it a prerequisite for healing? No, but it's very important for believers. Forgiveness is an issue that believers must deal with in order to maintain the grace that you've received from Christ. Guys, this is big. I hope you're listening to this. A lack of forgiveness does not prevent the healing, but sometimes it's the cause of someone losing their healing. Let me use an example. Imagine that uh, we're gonna, I'm going I'm to have you hold your breath. Take a deep breath in the, on the count of three. Just a second. I'm not going to have you hold it too long. No one needs to worry here. But I want you to imagine that this breath of fresh air is grace that you're receiving from God. Ready? One, two, three. Now breathe it out. That breath of fresh air that you received, if you just hold on to that and don't give that out, it can actually suffocate you. The grace that you receive, if you refuse to give that to other people, you get cut off from that flow. Imagine that your enemy is laying there in need of CPR, and you take this big breath of air. If you don't release and give that kiss of life to that person, that very breath that gave you life can become something toxic to you. How are we doing? For the believer, forgiveness is not necessary to be healed, but you may need to forgive to stay healed. You don't need to go searching deep and wide. Is there anybody? Listen, as you're just in the Lord's presence, he'll bring it to your mind and ask him for a grace to release it. Forgiveness does not mean, oh, what you did is okay, case sera, sera, no big deal. No, no, it means, God, I'm turning them over to you. I hope that they encounter your love. I hope that they encounter your goodness. May you transform them. But I'm taking my hands off of their neck. I'm not wishing harm on them. God, I'm turning them over to your love and your goodness so that hopefully they get to experience the same love and forgiveness that I have. You're turning them over to the Father's care. He can handle them better than you can. You can't carry the weight of that unforgiveness. How are we doing? Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So he's throwing Jesus under the bus here. And um, so this guy, let me just deal with one more issue. I, I, I've heard people teach on this before that, you know, he only healed one person. So sometimes God chooses not to heal, you know, and, you know, I mean, I mean, isn't that just such like religion that rather than celebrate the guy who's getting healed to go and interview the other people, how did it feel to have Jesus pass you by? I mean, you, you can almost just see the, the, the media just looking for the negative story here. Okay. So what about all the others? I mean, the place is wall to wall sickness. Okay. I feel like that's unfair to scripture to try to use this story to say, God doesn't want to heal everybody. Here's the simple fact. Jesus healed every person who came to him and every person the Father led him to. He didn't heal everybody in all of Israel. Okay, he healed the ones who came to him and the ones that the Father led him to. Okay, so first of all. But, um, so I think it's ridiculous to build a case uh, based on that. But um, here's another way to view this story. The story takes place in Jerusalem, which was a hostile religious territory. Jesus hardly ever went to Jerusalem. Looks like he came there for the feasts. And he came there for his death. Other than that, he was ministering in the outskirts. So when he's ministering in the outskirts of the Pharisee, the religious people who wanted to kill him, they would have had to come outside of their turf, outside of another city. Jesus is now on their turf. This is the hotbed of it. Remember in uh, John chapter 9, they're kicking people, they're kicking the blind guy out of the synagogue. They're wanting to kill him. You know, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. They're wanting to kill him. You know, in uh, and, and, uh, Acts chapter 5, they're, the, the, um, you know, just maybe uh, you know, a year or two later, they're flogging the disciples. They're wanting to put them to death for the name of Jesus, right? It is a hostile territory. So I remember Jesus, he had an appointed time. Like he's doing things, and he's like, hey, listen, guys, it's not my time. And so for Jesus to go and do a healing service and heal everybody in Jerusalem, uh, they probably would have tried to kill him before his appointed time. 
So what if instead of, uh, of, of this thing, well, oh, God must not want everyone to be healed, I think the story goes something like this. Jesus is going by, knowing it's not his appointed time, but he sees this guy, and he just has to sneak in one healing. He just couldn't pass this guy by. He's like, Father, okay, and goes, heals the one guy, comes back and says, listen, I want you to keep this thing. Here's how this thing works. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Doesn't that sound more like the love of God? He just had to, the love of God was so great, he had to sneak in one healing in a place that was so hostile that they probably would have killed him if he'd have done more. The guy did not get healed because he had enough faith. He did not have healing all figured out. So here's some good news. If you're sick, stop trying to work up enough faith and find enough reasons for God to heal you. Relax into the arms of God who's on your side. Faith is not like a spiritual dollar bill. Now I've got enough currency to buy this healing. I'm going to move God's hand. God's hand moved 2,000 years ago at the cross with Jesus. We don't have to move his hand. We just have to receive by faith what he's already said yes to. Faith is my helpless response to the grace and love of God. If you feel like you've been passed by Jesus, stop believing those lies and feel afresh the heart of God. Say this with me. Healing is not my idea. Healing is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. If you're here today or if you're listening to this live or you're listening to it on a recording, uh, Jesus is standing beside to heal you. There's a lot of people who have not heard these healing words that you've heard today. And, uh, but here's the thing. You have heard them today. So Jesus stops by and he asks you this question today. Do you want to be well? So let the command of the Lord with the power to carry it out ring in your heart and ring in your body today. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Let's stand for closing prayer. I thank you for that isolated clap. I received that. What a precious story. What an amazing story. With the covering of the law and man's effort and the best effort and all these things could do, uh, Jesus comes by and just an instant sets him free. Jesus, we love you. Lord, let us be washed by the compassion of God that you just had to stop and sneak in one healing. And Lord, I just pray for anyone listening to this live or on a recording or live stream, uh, they would answer the question, do you want to be well? Let me ask you, are you willing to leave behind all your disappointments of those prayers that didn't seem like they worked? Are you, do you want to be well? Are you willing to uh, push back all the worst doctors' diagnosis, the discouragement of your friends, people who think you're crazy for going after it? Are you willing to leave all of that ridicule and disappointment behind? Do you want to be well? And Holy Spirit, I pray that something would rise up in hearts today, that they would know and hear that command that has the power to carry it out. Take up your mat and walk in the name of Jesus. Lord, I bless your people this week to walk in the grace of God to walk in a revelation that they are united with you, that they can live in a holy power that's not their own. And Lord, I just thank you for a marking moment uh, this morning in worship where we laid things down and where we just said a fresh yes to Jesus. You know, I was actually feeling that. You know, it says his mercies are new every morning. I almost feel like our, we need to have a fresh yes every morning to those mercies. You know, I'm not talking about like rededicating your life, like, oh, you know, like, you know, we don't need to, every time we blow, we don't need to like, have a whole new ceremony and come to him again. But I think there's something powerful about a fresh yes. About, a, you know what, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm drawing that line in the sand, and God, I'm, uh, I'm not going back. You're, you're everything. You know, we love it. You know, Father, 
you know, child, you know, bride, bridegroom, Lord, slave. When we call him Lord, it means I live to do your will. And so I just feel like this morning, uh, the Lord's just looking for a fresh yes. And now if there's anyone in here this morning, you do not know Jesus, you've never been a follower, but man, you're feeling something pulling at your heart. You want to get to know him. You want to kind of cross that, I want to say finishing, like cross that starting line in your life with him. Is there there anybody in here like, "I, I need that. I need to follow Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. If you could just raise your hand, we just want to agree with you in prayer. If you're here this morning, you don't know, or maybe you've walked away and you want to recommit today. Is there anybody here? Fresh, yes, awesome. Anybody else? All right, I see that hand in the back, thank you. Anybody else? Let's just make it simple. If, uh, if, you, uh, if you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand or you're online, just, uh, I like to put my hand on my heart because that's where this is coming from. And now uh, let's just all pray a prayer that goes like this. Jesus, I trust you. I give you my life. I give you my fresh yes. I want as much of you in my life as possible. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for adopting me in your family. I receive your Holy Spirit to help me live this out. In Jesus' name.